by now well documented that attending an urban charter school can have a huge impact on student learning as measured by state tests. But do those gains translate into long-run benefits in the form of greater college enrollment and persistence? Or are they an artifact of teaching to the test? New research sheds light on that question by studying the long-run effects of attending a charter middle school operated by KIPP, the nation's largest network of charter schools. The results are encouraging, but also reveal just how much more it will take to ensure that all low-income students are equipped for college success. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guests today are Ira Nichols-Bear and Caleb Dolan. Ira is a senior researcher at Mathematica Policy Research and co-author of a new Ednext blog post describing his team's research on the effects of attending a KIPP middle school on early college outcomes. Caleb is the executive director of KIPP Massachusetts, which operates a group of charter schools in Boston and Lynn that are among the highest performing in the KIPP network. Ira, Caleb, welcome to the Ednex podcast. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Ira, your new study looks at the effects of attending a KIPP charter middle school on the likelihood that students enroll in a four-year college. I wonder if you can start out by telling us how the study fits into what's already known and not known about the effects of charter school attendance. Well, very broadly speaking, nationally, charter schools are a little bit of a mixed bag where, on average, charter schools don't seem to outperform traditional public schools. But there are pockets of high-achieving charter schools, particularly um, charter schools that are urban and serve low-income students in cities. Uh, there's a wide array of studies that have shown that in those settings, there are patterns of charter schools that tend to have large impacts on student achievement as measured by state test scores. And just in the last couple of years, there started to be a new line of research examining do these high-performing urban charter schools that have achievement impacts also benefit students' longer-run outcomes, uh, such as college persistence and college entrance. And most of that work, simply because of the time frame on which it becomes possible to ask that question, is focused on charter high schools, though, right? And so one of the things that's novel about your study is focusing on attending a charter middle school. That's right. The first wave of these studies examined high-performing uh, charter high schools, and those studies have been encouraging. They've found that these charter high schools that uh, impact achievement also tend to have impacts on college enrollment rates. But for middle schools, it's just in the last year or so where we've started to have enough time to observe what's happening, and there the evidence has been more mixed. Um, there was a very large national study of of, of uh, charter middle schools that found no relationship between those schools' effects on achievement and effects on college entry. And that's part of why we were so interested in examining what's happening at KIPP. We wanted to know, is the pattern at KIPP similar or different to what we're learning elsewhere? Now, Caleb, the primary outcome in this study, as we just mentioned, is enrollment at a four-year college. And Ira's blog post notes that KIPP schools place great emphasis on preparing students for college success. To what extent would you say that college is an organizing goal for KIPP schools, and how do we see that reflected in their curricula and culture? Our entire organization, our schools, our regional teams, everything is organized around partnership with students and their families to help them realize choice-filled adult lives. Full stop. Like the goal at the end of our education, how we measure our success, is that students enter adult life empowered with the skills, knowledge, habits, to have choice. A college degree is one of the most important ways that you have choices, leaving education, K-12, post-secondary. 
we want all of our students have to have that choice to enter college. While we also recognize that there are other important options that students can choose from that might lead them to that choice-filled adult life. Uh, so what does this look like when you come in our schools? I think there's a stereotypical image of like college banners on the wall and alumni photos, and that's all true. Uh, and I think more importantly, it is a constant message and conversation with students and their families about what do the students need academically, socially, experientially to realize their future aspirations. In K through four, in our elementary schools, that looks like a rich curriculum, not just reading and writing and math, but science and history and dance so that students have exposure to a broad number of things that they feel really good about. In middle school, that looks like connecting with, whether it's through visits to colleges, exposure to different careers, our engineering fair is coming up, definitely you should all attend, mm -hmm. uh, opportunities to start to engage in activities that might make them passionate enough to persist in college. And then in high school and in our post-secondary support, it looks like a lot of very individualized conversation about how do students and families make the right choice about what post-secondary programming path to pursue. And then once they're there, how do they access the resources and supports they need to thrive? So Ira, let's go back and talk a bit about the schools on which the study was conducted. As I understand it, these are 13 KIPP middle schools that were in operation in 2008, 2009. They were admitting students by lottery, which means they were oversubscribed in-demand schools. What else can you tell us about them? So these are um, some of the more established schools in the KIPP network. The KIPP network has grown very rapidly in the last 10 years. Um, but at the time we conducted our study, these were uh, fairly well-established uh, KIPP middle schools from a range of regions all across the country. And we were uh, conducted the study by collecting information on a sample of about 1,200 students who applied to enter one of these 13 KIPP schools. And we're able to track them over time now over the subsequent 10 years. These were middle schools. Uh, one of the things that's happened with KIPP as an organization nationally, as you say, it's grown very rapidly. One of the ways in which it's grown it started out primarily with standalone middle schools. Many of the regions have expanded backwards to start elementary schools, as Caleb was describing, and also expanded forwards to create high schools. Where were the schools in your study in that evolution? That's a great question. So at the time our study began, there were no KIPP elementary schools in the regions we were examining in our study sample. So uh, grade five was the earliest grade you could enter the KIPP network. And uh, over time, KIPP has added high schools. So uh, for the students in our cohorts that we're examining, it was about half of them had the option to attend a KIPP high school, and half did not just because KIPP hadn't established high schools yet in those regions. They, they now have rolled out high schools in just about every region they operate. So Caleb, you're a good example of that with KIPP Massachusetts, starting with a standalone middle school, expanding now in both Boston and Lynn in both directions. Can you tell us a bit about how the schools in your network have evolved and why? Right. Uh, maybe I'll start with the why. One of the things we commit to when we sit down with families after they're, they're admitted through our lottery is just, we are with you uh, uh, until adulthood. And that means for our early classes that just had a KIPP middle school and went off to dozens of different you know, private, public, traditional, non-traditional high schools, we continue to track their progress. And what 
they, we heard again and again is, I wish I were better prepared. I was able to get into college. I wasn't able to persist. I wasn't able to thrive. And while we did our best to continue to actually support those kiddos, those students, those alumni, we also realized we had to start sooner and stick with them longer. So we built uh, elementary schools that, so that we could spend less time remediating and more time teaching students from the ground up. And then we built high schools that were grounded not just in sort of the rigor of curriculum, access to AP courses, but also this idea that you would be able to make really empowered choices because you got the most strategic, thoughtful college counseling and post-secondary support that could be found. Um, and so I think we've done a lot of that, and I'd say our early indicators both academically and socially at the elementary level would tell us that those kids are on a phenomenal path, um, a, an entirely different trajectory in some ways than our early middle school students. And the impact of KIPP high schools is pretty profound. Um, it has increased our college graduation rates at KIPP Massachusetts by almost 20% from where they were previously. Uh, and more importantly, it's helped those kids. Like we just got back our alumni survey and 90% of our alumni uh, in their first and second year of college say they have a plan to pursue the major they want to pursue. I, I certainly could have said that as a college <laughs> freshman or sophomore. And so that tells us that we are doing a better job of helping them go into college and actually have a plan to complete it and succeed. So let's turn to the results of the study. But as we do so, let's keep in mind that we're studying KIPP to some extent as it existed in 2008, <laughs> 2009, with many students attending a middle school only and not having the opportunity to continue within the network at the high school level. Ira, you and your team compared the college enrollment patterns of winners and losers of the attendance lotteries for these schools, that is, students who were offered a seat at a KIPP school and those who weren't. Uh, what did you find? Does the opportunity to attend a KIPP middle school make a difference for college enrollment? Well, I think the first thing I want to say is that there's a really important reason why we conducted the study this, this way, using a, using a lottery. And in particular, when you're looking at long-run outcomes, there could be really important differences between uh, students and the families they come from that are hard to observe. Um, such as parental motivation or commitment to send their child to college, um, including things like uh, you know that we would traditionally include and can observe more easily, such as students' baseline test scores or achievement in elementary school. So with a lottery, you can trust that you have an equivalent group in your um, sort of study group, your treatment group, and comparison group in terms of all of these attributes, both the ones you can see and the ones you can't see, like parental commitment to pursue a college for their child. So um, with that as a backdrop, I think we, we can um, have a lot of trust in the results from this study in a way that isn't true of an observational or descriptive study. And what we found is, yes, there, there is an effect of these middle schools on entrance in four-year college programs. I know that in the blog post you talk separately about the effect of the offer to attend a KIPP school as well as the effect of actually enrolling. So let's stick with actually enrolling. What do we see when we compare the outcomes of those who do and don't take advantage of the opportunity? What we find is that, uh, and we did this under a range of different analytical techniques, but a between 10 and 13 percentage point effect on enrollment rates in four-year college programs. In other words, the treatment group, the students who enrolled at KIPP, were 10 to 13 percentage points more likely to enroll in a four-year college program then were comparable students who did not have that opportunity. That's right, exactly. And how big are those effects in the context of research on the determinants of post-secondary 
access. So this is a very large effect estimate, in my opinion. I mean, if you look at the nationwide disparity in enrollment rates in college, and this is in any college type, if you compare the college enrollment rates of whites to blacks or Hispanics, there's about a 14 percentage point gap nationwide. So if you look at that 13 percentage point effect of attendance in a middle school, one way to phrase the size of that effect is that for a given black or Hispanic student entering KIPP at the middle school level, that effect size is about large enough to offset the nationwide racial disparity in college enrollment. Now enrollment in college is one thing, graduation is quite another as we're increasingly aware I think. And it's too soon to study the effects of attending a KIPP middle school on college graduation, but what can you tell us about the persistence of the students who participated in your study? So in some ways, this is a, a drawback of the study, is that we didn't have enough time to track students for very long into college. So what we do have time to see is what happened in the first two years after high school graduation. In other words, if a student entered college immediately after graduating high school, did they remain in college for the subsequent four semesters? And there, we did find that there's about a four percentage point increase in persistence rates of KIPP students of the uh, treatment group compared to the control group, but that effect size, four percentage points, wasn't large enough to be statistically significant. So we can't say anything too strong yet about effects on persistence, but there's some hopeful signs in, in the data thus far. That's right. That's exactly right. So Ira, you've helped us understand that the effect on college enrollment is quite large, but it's quite large relative to a relatively low base, right? If we look at the control families, those who didn't have the opportunity to enroll in a KIPP school, it's not a very substantial share that are actually enrolling in four-year colleges. Uh, give us those numbers and how we should think of them, how they should uh, shape our interpretation of the study. Right. So in this population, which is not, you know, this isn't a nationwide population of students. These are students in the communities where KIPP chooses to operate, which tend to be urban settings with low-income students of color. And in that setting, uh, what you find in our control group, which is basically our measurement of students who didn't go to KIPP, what do they, what do they look like? Um, that's about 38% of the students in that cohort enroll in college, compared to our treatment group where it was about 52%. So that makes the effect time even larger as we think about it as a percent increase over a base. At the same time, 52% suggests that there are a lot of students who are enrolling in KIPP, yet not ultimately enrolling in a four-year college. Caleb, I can imagine at least two possible reactions to that. The First is that KIPP schools need to do even more to prepare and support their students so that they enroll in persistent college. But the second possible reaction is that, boy, we need to make sure that the schools also attend to the importance of preparing students for pathways that don't involve a four-year degree. What do you see as the main lessons of this research and how are you all acting on them? Yeah. So we see the lessons of this research as both those things have to be true. Uh, we absolutely have and are already trying to do many things better from, again, starting earlier with students in elementary school, preparing them with stronger curriculum, providing broader programming, arts, engineering, so forth, through high school, continuing through high school, providing really strategic counseling uh, that allows kids to enter into colleges and universities and post-secondary pro programs that are most likely to help them graduate with minimal debt. We're doing all those strategies to help provide better support. 
And we actually see that by adding programming and supports for alternate pathways, whether that's career technical training, uh, whether it's just sort of alternate pathways into the labor force, we actually find improved engagement in school period. Um, kids feel like they have a place, like I don't feel like I'm on a college path now, but I wanna have that choice, so I'm gonna stick it out in algebra too. You know, so that maybe later on I have that choice, but I'm going to, you know, go to trade school to be a car, an electrician. That's a beautiful outcome. And I think a lot of times you, you, you I think, rightfully highlight both, those, both of those ideas. They're seen as binaries. We actually see them as very connected. The more credible choices we present to students and prepare them for, the more they're going to engage in being prepared leaving us. Um, and we're not creating tracks within our schools. We're helping all of our students think about choices. My guests today have been Ira Nichols-Bearer of Mathematica Policy Research and Caleb Dolan of KIPP Massachusetts. Ira's blog post describing his work on the long-term effects of attending a KIPP charter school is available now at educationnext.org. Ira, Caleb, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.